Welcome to A Legacy of Generosity, a podcast produced by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. You'll hear lessons learned, trends, and best practices from experienced gift planning professionals to help you succeed in increasing legacy gifts for your organization. We are grateful to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations. To learn more about the work they do, visit greaterminnesota.net. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to today's A Legacy of Generosity podcast. I'm Marie Ruzek, and my co-host today is Carl Newbanks. We are happy to have Liz Cheney as our guest today. Liz has joined us today to discuss how she approaches conversations with donors on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Liz, before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Of course. Um, So I'm Liz Cheney. I'm the Vice President of Philanthropy at the Southwest Initiative Foundation. We are one of the six Minnesota Initiative Foundations founded in 1986 in partnership with McKnight Foundation. We function as a community foundation serving the southwest corner of the state, which includes 18 counties, 156 geographic communities, and two Native nations. Our mission is to connect people, invest in ideas, and build communities. And our vision is a southwest Minnesota where all people thrive. I've been here for 17 years, and I've held multiple roles during that time, including communications and marketing, a little bit of HR, program delivery in community, and through all of that, I've always had at least one toe in fundraising. So today, I lead our resource development work, and that uh, carries a focus of building and growing endowment funds through annual major and planned gifts. And those gifts are for restricted and unrestricted purposes. So I recently turned 40 and I'm leaning in to opportunities that make me totally uncomfortable and that help me grow. And so that's why I'm doing this today. And it's really important for me to acknowledge that I cannot claim to be an expert in the topic that we're addressing today. My gosh, not at all. What I do have is a lot of major gift fundraising experience, and I really lean on those lessons learned and those skills when I'm having those conversations with donors about diversity, equity, and inclusion, conversations that are sometimes hard, sometimes easy, sometimes energizing, and sometimes totally draining. Because we've adopted a value of equity at Southwest Initiative Foundation. And so as we talk today, I am definitely going to be making assumptions that folks listening in are living and breathing this this word uh, in some capacity. So I'm not going to build the case for why Southwest Initiative Foundation has prioritized an equity lens for our work. I think that's a conversation for a different day. Um, I'm really just going to talk about how I work with um, donors. I feel really compelled to just 
include if people are listening to this in different states or around the world and at a later time that we're here in Minnesota where the death of George Floyd brought to um, a national spotlight the continued disparities in race equity and other inequities. And as the trial of the officer accused of murdering George Floyd ensues here, um, it's a really sensitive and important topic that I think we have all realized, hopefully by now, that we don't need just to be aware of these things, but we have to be part of the solution. So I'm really glad that we're focusing on this today. And thank you, Liz, for your courageousness in being our guest today. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy-ish to be here. Yeah, for sure. Liz, we're really grateful that you can join us and uh, really appreciate, already appreciate your honesty and transparency. And, you know, like Marie said, just to acknowledge, we're definitely not DEI experts, but we're hoping the conversation we have today is going to help others, uh, you know, be a little more aware of, of these issues, help professionals in the field, have these conversations with donors, et cetera. Um, I think it's always healthy to have the conversation, and we're really glad to have you with us today and to have this uh, conversation with you as well. So, so thanks again for joining us. And um, Liz, you mentioned that DEI work has accelerated in recent years, or you feel that DEI work has accelerated in recent years. So um, could you describe a few projects and initiatives you've been a part of or have you've observed yeah, of in your course. area? So for me and for my organization, I think this feels like a journey that we officially started in 2015 when we drafted a new strategic plan. And in that plan, we talked about this concept of kids and all kids being our kids in Southwest Minnesota. Um, and we wanted to ensure that all kids in Southwest Minnesota have access to opportunities that allow them to reach their full potential. We called that Grow Our Own. And again, that started in 2015. The concept felt like something that almost everyone could get behind, kids. And as we learned through what that meant, um, we had to dive into our demographic data, which basically showed that one in six Southwest Minnesota kids lives in poverty, and that can limit their access to opportunities. In addition, the data suggested that the population growth in the southwest corner of the state um, will happen, and it'll happen primarily through communities of color. Now, we're a future-focused organization, and this is our space. The future of southwest Minnesota, the viability and the vitality of our wonderful, of our wonderful rural communities. Um, so it's really a journey for us that started several years ago. And so let me break it down. In 2016, and under that new plan, we launched into what's called the Intercultural Development Inventory, which is sort of a tool that you can participate in that gives you a baseline to understand, like, where am I at on the continuum of cultural competence? Um, because I'm part of an organization. So where am I at? 
And um, where does that put all of us as an organization? Where does it put us at on that continuum? We took that assessment in 2016, and here's what we learned. We learned that we had some work to do to move the needle on our cultural competence, and I had work to do as well. And it's not uncommon for organizations that participate in this tool to uncover that they have work to do. And um, that work was then integrated into our performance management process. We had an official organization-wide goal with activities around it. And then we had an individual component as well. Liz, I might just jump in and say, if people don't recognize the name of that tool, they might recognize it by the name of IDI. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of what we all hear. Once we take that, we don't remember what the full name of it is. We just know IDI means we're working on, like you said, this continuum and where do we fall in that continuum? So, you know, in other words, um, we approached it as what can we experience together as a board and a staff? to move that needle, and what must we do on our own time? And so again, incorporated into performance management and expectations. And so this approach, this goal setting, org-wide and individually continued each year in 2016, 2017, and 2018. And then in 2019, we took the IDI again, right? Because we wanted to understand where are we at today after all of this work that we've done. And, you know, we experienced uh, good news. We saw movement. We ended up moving 10 points on the continuum, indicating positive intercultural competence growth. And we closed the gap between our perception of, of competence and our reality um, by about five points. That's great. That's great to have those baseline uh, performance kind of so you can see if you're making progress and specifically where and that people became more aware. I think, I think that's the most useful part of that entire process is to keep that focus and to give um, that feedback loop so that you know you're making progress. Yeah, I think so, too, because it, it helps you stay motivated, too, right? Um, so if I'm making progress and I can measure that progress, I'm more inclined to uh, stay on the journey. So that was in 2019, and here we are today. Uh, the world is a completely different place, and yet our journey continues, and it's still part of our annual performance expectations. And I think really what this approach has done for me is helped ground me in my own understanding of differences of all kinds. So we have more work to do. Uh, my colleague who is certified in the IDI administration reminds the staff here that there will always be more work to do always things we can learn, always things we can improve upon, and that it really is a journey. And I think the other important point here is one of alignment. 
So, you know, when I introduced myself, you heard me give our mission statement and our vision. And, you know, the, the years blur together a little bit, but after the new strategic plan, we also went through a collaborative process within the board and the staff to really refresh those important pieces, those important components of our organization. So we adopted a new mission statement, we adopted a new vision, and we adopted new values for the organization. And I think those of us who work, especially in fundraising, we know how critical those components are to providing not only direction to the organization, but also I lean on them all the time in fundraising. So the long that's, and short of that is- That's it, huge. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a lot of work you undertook to, yeah. to make these changes. That's amazing. Yeah, we've been busy. You know, so uh, we, we adopted equity as a value before COVID-19 and before the civil unrest across the country. Sure. You know, Liz, you're talking about, you know, a new mission, a new vision, or I guess I should say adapting, you know, your current mission and vision to include DEI and, you know, and include equity. Um, So how would you tie that back to the role of community foundations as thought leaders, you know, and change agents in the regions that they serve? Do you, does Southwest see themselves as a a thought leader and a change agent or how do you see that? Yeah, I think it's, it's a lot to unpack that question for the entire community foundation sector. Uh, You know, there's over 800 community foundations. And I think just like communities, community foundations are as unique as the community they serve. And I think Uh, Because of that, every community foundation might see themselves and their role differently. For us at Southwest Initiative Foundation, this concept of thought leadership and change is woven into our DNA. When we were founded 35 years ago, um, we actually received a special ruling from the IRS that allows us as a nonprofit to do business lending. So that feels pretty different and change-oriented right out of the gate. And we're also not a traditional community foundation when we look at our assets. We have as many unrestricted assets as we have restricted assets. And that gives us some flexibility in what we do and how we do it. In my early days at the organization, We played a role in renewable energy in Southwest Minnesota, which perhaps was ahead of its time. And you know, as we work with donors, um, we hear one reason that they support us with their unrestricted giving is that our eye toward the future is unmatched by anyone in Southwest Minnesota. That is what we are all about. And so the people in our, in our donor network, they already appreciate and love that we are future focused. Um, so in this moment, those same people so far seem really open to letting us figure this all out right now, since the demographic data tell us something about the future, this feels like our space. 
and it's brand new in one sense, and but not totally new to those donors that have been with us for a long time and watched the evolution of the issues that we have paid attention to. Yeah, I'm kind of struck by, yeah, how forward thinking the foundation has been, you know, thinking about the early 80s or mid 80s and doing that work with regard to business lending, which is more and more popular these days, but you've been doing it for a long time. And then thinking mm -hmm. of the populations that you're serving and, you know, this, this push for minority owned businesses. So you're, you're in a great position to help with that. But that said, the geography you cover is not very ethnically or racially diverse. It's not like um, in a major metropolitan area where you see all different colors of people every day when you're just going about your daily life. So it's easier to keep, at least maybe in my mind, I'm thinking it's easier to keep um, these important discussions about equity on the forefront when um, people of different colors and races and backgrounds and ethnicities are our neighbors. But when they are not your neighbors, and there may be only um, a small community of um, ethnically diverse or racially diverse folks in your region, um, how do you navigate that uh, in the space of greater Minnesota when the population is really very white? Yes, uh, a true statement of the racial makeup of Southwest Minnesota is largely Caucasian. And racial diversity absolutely exists, and it's in pockets across our region in a handful of communities, including the two Native nations in our region. So with that, like I have to share that I am Caucasian and most of the donors I work with are Caucasian as well. So in my fundraising role, I guess I just see the importance of um, helping bring people along with us, like come along for the ride. <laughs> Liz, that, that is such a great point. Would you mind talking a little more about that, about how, how you help bring yeah, people along? Yeah, I'll try. So for some, I think the word equity, just as a word, can be kind of sticky. And first, I have to be really grounded. I have to be grounded in my own awareness and in my own biases. I have to be empathetic. I have to recognize where someone is at and simply honor it. Not judge it, but honor it. And honestly, I have to dance a little bit. Um, leading a donor to an area of our work um, that I think they might be interested in, and then following them sometimes to where they indicate challenge or additional interest or openness. And I guess I view it like this. Let's say um, a donor doesn't love that our marketing pieces now feature um, stories with the word equity front and center. Um, those marketing pieces feature photos of people that um, they haven't featured before, 
um, the non-white faces of people who call Southwest Minnesota home. Um, so maybe this, this donor or this person is feeling left out or less represented than they used to be in our materials. So I have this you know, scale, scale of one to 10, where um, someone might be upset about that change and they're a one, or someone might be totally on board and embracing the direction we're going, they're a 10. So that's the approach I use. Um, so this, in this example, my donor is feeling left out and less represented than they once were. Um, they might be a two on my scale or a three. Now I engage with them in a mutually beneficial relationship, right? That's what fundraising is all about. And my job isn't to move them from a two to a 10. Um, it's to help move them from a two to a two and a half, or maybe a three on a good day. <laughs> right, that, that's a tricky balance because as we know in fundraising, we are trying to build close relationships and clearly are not always going to agree or have the same politics. And so, you know, I feel like you're, you're really balancing on that tightrope and you're taking a really practical approach, although some might see it like maybe you're not going all in on the equity mission. What would you say to that? Yeah, I agree. Some might see it that way. Um, I don't see it that way at all. I think if we're truly building relationships that are genuine and benefiting both parties, I actually think it is cornerstone to disagree respectfully, to challenge each other, and to consider one another's perspectives. I just think, don't we do that in all of the relationships that we cherish the most? Right. I think we absolutely do. Yeah. So for me, another step in my journey has been the text, um, White Fragility. You've probably heard of it. Maybe you've read it. Um, I've read it a couple of times. And again, this is sort of a grounding mechanism for me, grounding me in the fact that it is hard for white people to acknowledge and talk about racial difference. So just having that grounding helps me hold space for how I might react as a white person to a situation or comment. Um, it certainly helps me gauge where a donor might be, or at least have some empathy and be able to acknowledge that these conversations can be really, really hard. So when you're navigating these hard conversations and the emotions start to run high, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's really hard, but I think... This is where that training in major gift fundraising comes to the forefront. So I do a lot of listening. I acknowledge and label when something is really hard. 
And uh, I do the same thing. I acknowledge and label when we disagree on something. And then um, I just try to lead the donor back to what feels like safer ground, where I feel confident that there's more agreement on an issue. And this is kind of that dance that I mentioned earlier, and it's not really something that I know how to teach. That's such a good point, Liz. And you know, here you've 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 had the conversations and you've navigated the emotions. So talk to us now a little bit about what happens if a donor just objects to the DEI work, but you still want to keep them in relationship and bring them along, but they object. So how would you go yeah, about handling so that situation? No easy answer, but I can share a real example that happened just last week. So this donor um, was a brand new donor supporting our mission last year one of those coveted unrestricted gifts. And their gift arrived last week. So their second gift ever. And they had doubled it from the year prior. Um, I was excited, right? Um, the moves I had been doing to retain this donor had not only worked, but gosh, they doubled their gift. So I was feeling pretty smart. I picked up the phone to call this donor and thank them for being awesome. And our conversation was really pleasant for the first 20 minutes as you might expect it to be. And then something I said, a connection I was trying to make, led us down a path of their real concerns about the future. Concerns about calling out systemic racism, adding components, into the social studies curriculum to tell a more inclusive account of our country and our state's history, protests and social unrest, and even their faith institution making a statement that um, the donor felt was politically motivated. So I just listened. I didn't agree or dispute their concerns. I certainly didn't tell them they were wrong. I just listened. And at times uh, our donor said, are you still there, Liz? And I would confirm, yep, I'm still here. I'm still listening. And the commentary would continue. And then I said something like, gosh, there is a lot on your mind and heart today. And I hope it's okay to acknowledge that we're in really different places on these issues. Thanks for trusting me enough to share your thoughts. So let me ask you a big, hairy question. The, the recent materials that you've received from Southwest Initiative Foundation put forward equity as a stated value of ours, a value that we bring to the good work we're doing. It's actually first on the list, along with integrity, curiosity, collaboration, and optimism. So given what you shared, how is this landing for you? And I got an honest response. You called to thank me, and this might be the last gift you ever receive from me. Oh man, that's tough to hear. <laughs> and so, so I said it, I said, gosh, I'm, I'm so wow. sad to hear that. 
can you give me a moment just to pull something up on my computer as that we talk? Tough. And then I read the descriptors that we've used to frame equity as our value at Southwest Initiative Foundation. I emphasized belonging and opportunity and that people have different needs because we're all different. And this lowered the tension. It felt like they were open. And in that etiquette of conversation, I had a few more moments to get some words in. So I talked and I said something like this. At Southwest, we've been grounded in the belief that we must invest in our Southwest Minnesota kids. This is that term, grow our own, that you hear us talk about all the time. So to invest in kids and really have an impact, we have to recognize that kids exist within systems that include others, parents, businesses that employ, businesses that employ those parents and help them earn a living, schools, educators, communities. And I went on to emphasize good jobs and parents who felt like they had some control over their future. I don't know how, even today, but I somehow had navigated us through this really sticky space. My donor opened up about a young person that they had met and mentored um, for a couple of years and how that young person is now a successful adult. This led me, you know, in the dance to offer remarks about recent work that we've done in a virtual event that we held about the power of one caring adult in a child's life. And so they were interested. Oh, I, they said, I missed that event. So now I had a logical next move and I can connect my donor to the recording from that event and affirm the commonality and the shared perspective that we have. And there's more. Um, so as we closed out that conversation, my donor actually acknowledged that they had given me an earful today. We had talked for almost 90 minutes and um, they offered feedback about the words we choose to use. And I thanked them for that. Mm. I didn't promise that we were gonna change or that we weren't going to say the word equity. Um, I just thanked them for their feedback. And I also said this, I hope you and I can continue to come together despite the differing perspectives that we hold. And you know what they said? I agree, and I think we can. So yeah, that felt like a win. You know, you've, you're an experienced, you know, fundraiser, been there for 17 years, built these relationships, but for younger folks or for people that haven't begun to have the confidence to have these conversations, because you really stuck with it. You know, I can imagine like a young development officer just saying, oh, okay, thank you. Goodbye. You know, like just being freaked out and, you know, hanging up, but you really hung in there and used the tools that you had at your fingertips. And it makes me think that um, role-playing 
with each other as staff might be a really important step in this journey for all of us to lean into these conversations. Liz, thanks for sharing that story. And we really, again, just appreciate your honesty and transparency uh, in our conversation today. And I thought we might dig just a little bit deeper. Uh, I mean, what if you can't reconcile the difference with a donor? And do you think organizations should just release donors if the disagreement is strong enough? Oh, I do think that this is a point that belongs in this conversation. And I just have to acknowledge that we haven't yet had to uh, bless and release people and major donors who aren't all in with us on equity. But that's today and things can certainly change. I think the donors that we're working with are longtime loyal donors. We've known them for years through programs or through a giving relationship and sometimes both. There's trust and there's respect. And I can't predict the future, but I hold firm in my belief that we must live our values and not hide them from our donors. So for me, when, when donors want to, to talk about those values or push on something, we must welcome that conversation even when we're in different places. And I guess I'm really an and person and that's because of my own journey with the IDI. I just think that people can still like and support us even if they're not all in with us on one of those value statements. I think donors do it all the time. I, as a donor, still support organizations whose missions and work I adore, even though there might be things about those organizations that I don't totally agree with or love. I, what I picked up on there was that you, you're an and person. <laughs> I adopted that and learned that, that the words we choose and the way our mindset is really makes a difference. So when you begin a conversation and it means that you're acknowledging everything that that person had said before you. But um, on the other hand, if you had, if you started the conversation, but it means that you've just disagreed with everything that they've said. I didn't notice. I didn't say you agreed with everything when you said, and you, you've acknowledged it. So what you're, you're saying is we don't necessarily have to be in perfect alignment with our donors. Is, is that what you're getting at? Marie, I think you are speaking my language. Uh, I don't think we have to be in perfect alignment on all issues with all of our donors. Um, again, I don't feel that way as a donor to other organizations, and I wouldn't want to assume that Southwest Initiative Foundation donors will walk away if they don't yet understand why we're approaching our work with that equity lens. It's, it's not about me for sure, but I also think about my own life and I apply that to my work. So I'm happily married and my husband and I aren't always in perfect alignment, yet we love and respect each other. We make space for where we don't agree. And sometimes when we're both really tired of disagreeing, we don't make that space. Donors, husbands, 
I think at the heart of both is relationship, give and take, understanding and empathy, love and respect. And I think when you have that, you can build from it. That's amazing. Well said. Thank you. Liz, man, thanks for joining us today. We so appreciate your time. Do you have any last thoughts, a last idea that you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, I do. So that story that I shared earlier, I just want to acknowledge um, that it drained me um, not spending 90 minutes on the phone in a sticky conversation when I thought I was just calling to give some warm fuzzies and gratitude, I was drained and I had nothing left in my tank to keep doing the work that day. Uh, I've mentioned I'm a, I'm a wife and I'm a mother too. And when I got home from work, I didn't have much in my tank to do those jobs. So I think it's okay to acknowledge how difficult it is to hold space for all the ands uh, and to show up for our donors and our organizations in this way. And I think I would just share with, with others that are listening that you're not alone if, if and when you bump into donor interactions like this and find yourself uh, running on fumes after it. That's really important to acknowledge. Thank you. And thank you so much for having the courage to have this conversation and to have that conversation with your donors. I think that your peers and colleagues who listen to this are going to be inspired to um, be brave and to show up with purpose and know that they're doing the right thing. And I want to make sure that um, you know how much gratitude we have for you in sharing your story. So thank you. Mm, thank you. Happy, happy to do it. Liz, thanks again for joining us today. We sure appreciate it. And thanks to all our listeners for joining us as well. Uh, I'm sure everyone that's listening in today already knows it, but we have lots of other episodes available on our podcast. You can pick up those episodes uh, anywhere that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we'd be happy to have you uh, follow us and become a regular listener. Uh, and uh, be sure and check out our website, Leave a Legacy Minnesota, as well. So thanks again, Liz, for joining us. Thanks, Marie. Thanks to all of our listeners. And I think we'll call that a podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Legacy of Generosity podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. For show notes and access to other free educational content, visit leavealegacymn.org and click Resource Library. Consider joining us as a member of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association for Networking and Comprehensive Education. And connect with us on LinkedIn to share your feedback. Make it a great day.